laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. I have some weird interactions with this sometimes where, you know, I make jokes about my disability and I'm very open. It. I'm a big fan of like advocacy and awareness and, and I, I laugh about it. But if I don't know you and you approach me at the supermarket and make a short arms joke, I'm going to be offended because you haven't earned that trust with me. Like, I'm still a human being who doesn't want to, like, like, you know, that, that'd be like, yeah, you don't come up to me and call me a fat piece of shit either. Like, if I don't know you, <laughs> even if I have a sense of humor, I'm like, I don't know you. You don't get to, like, come into my circle right now and tell me I'm a cripple. Like, we're not, we haven't built that yet. You can't laugh at that. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. We post full unedited videos of these episodes that you can't find on any podcasting platform. Pretty soon we're going to start doing uh, quick videos summing up these episodes that we've already done. And in the future, we're looking to bring in psychologists, humor experts, comedy club bookers for uh, little mini episodes that will be exclusive to our Patreon. So Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod, become a patron and benefit from all of these extra funnies. You can't laugh at that. Welcome to You Can't Laugh At That, the podcast where we take things you can't laugh at and we find ways to laugh at them in our never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. I'm proud of Like, I've gotten good at that. We finally figured out how to start this show. And today, joining me, my co-host, Jeremy Demery, from some nondescript room. Hello! And from uh, somewhere between L.A. and San Diego is Ryan Nee Miller. He's been on America's Got Talent. He's from Indianapolis. And uh, just an all-around very, very funny comedian. How are you out there, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. You forgot to mention I'm the third most talented person in America from America's Got Talent. (laughs) I... Uh, was third place overall. I'm uh, going to shovel that into every conversation I have for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Hi, Brian Neumiller, third yeah. place. What's that? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I do that to my mom all the time, and it drives her insane. But, like, if I really just want to troll and piss off my mom, I, like, won't respond to her until she refers to me as TV's Ryan Neumiller. That's the, <laughs> that's the type of person I am. So <laughs> how are you guys? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Hanging in there, doing the best we can with what we got. And uh, this will be, I don't know, we're, we're, we're into the 30s as far as episodes go now. So okay. feeling pretty good about that. I'm into the 30s as far as years on Earth go. So hey, not, fe- not feeling as great about that. So <laughs> We briefly met, uh, you were in Cleveland and you performed at East End Bistro. Uh, how did you, I mean, did you have a show in town and you just stopped by? Were you at Hilarities? But I honestly, I, I know I had another show in town. I can't remember where it was. Yeah. Like, like I, if I ever write a memoir, it's going to be the Vegas memoir in history. Because I, for whatever reason, I have no memory 
of what shows I've done. And like, I barely remember AGT. Like that's yeah. probably the only shows that read only because there's video proof that I did them. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, yesterday, I don't know when this actually go up, but in real time yesterday was the, uh, it was the anniversary of the result show. And I didn't remember until a little after, like I almost, it was almost midnight. Like that was like the most monumental day of my entire life. And I just passed me by. I'm so bad at that. But yeah, I was in Cleveland for something and, I, and I've known uh, uh, Bill Squire for years. So I kind of okay. just asked him when I was going through, I was doing a little run. I think I was a, end up going to upstate New York right after that. I was doing some shows. So it was kind of like an on the way thing. I'm, okay. I'm, 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 a, I'm an old school road dog. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. How long have you been performing? Uh, almost 14 years now for okay. stand up. And then I did theater before that for about four or five years. Okay, so you, so you've got that that stage experience uh, going into stand up. What made you want to do stand up? Uh, I, as far as the transition from like theater to stand up, I was getting tired of telling Shakespeare's story. That, that's kind of the extent of it. Like like I I love theater. Like I enjoyed the actual you know performances and all that, but it, it I didn't feel I got enough payoff out of it both financially and it's one of those things like like one of the cool things about stand up you get that kind of immediate feedback like you do mm-hmm. the show it happens in that moment you get the feedback with theater you could be rehearsing for 8 weeks before anyone gets to see it like it's a lot more drawn off process and i kind of like the just that kind of in and out it was just a uh, it, it was kind of always in the back of my head what i wanted to do and uh, cuz i want i had things i wanted to talk about essentially oh yeah no, I, I feel that I did. Uh, I did theater in high school, but I did uh, sketch when I lived in New York. I didn't do stand up when I lived in New York, and I was a writer. I loved seeing how other people interpret my words, but it got to the point where I was like, "No, I want to say my words myself." Exactly. Yeah. I so. mean, anyone that has an inkling to do this, we're all egomaniacs. We oh. all we we all want that attention on us in some way. You know, and that's kind of what it amounted to. I, I didn't want to just be a bit player. I wanted to be the guy. Right. Like, as I'm directing, I'm like, just say it like I would say it. Yeah. <laughs> just let me do it. But then yeah, do yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and act- exactly. <laughs> right. Actors love being told how to act. Exactly. Um, so, okay. So 14 years. Um, now you got started in Indianapolis. I got started in LA. Okay. Actually. Oh, okay. Because I'm, st- I'm dumb. That's what it is. Like in hindsight, it sounds like the stupidest thing in the world, but I legitimately didn't know you could start elsewhere at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, I knew comedy existed in places like Indianapolis. Obviously there's comedy clubs, but I thought that people got sent from LA or New York and maybe Chicago occasionally. I thought that was just how it worked. And it never crossed my mind that I could go into Indianapolis and do open mics because I, I went to school in Terre Haute, in Cleveland. so I wasn't actually in Indy. Okay. So as soon as I graduated, I had a buddy who lived out in L.A. who had a spare room, and he's like, hey, I won't charge your rent as long as you're working. And I went, okay. I basically had a sugar daddy. It was nice. Oh, yeah, take advantage of that. I mean, that's not dumb, but... Yeah, th- 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 then he had to be a real prick and get married or whatever and <laughs> move back to the Midwest like a douche. Ugh. Don't you care about my dreams? Right, right. <laughs> Um, I, I've heard that a lot, though, where, you know, people get into stand up after not realizing they could just go to a local bar or club and do it. 
Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a high in a hindsight situation. I would have stayed probably in the Midwest and started there because uh, because as much as I, I love the work in LA, I hate the city. Uh, I don't do well with really big cities. It's just like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm an old trailer park kid. My hometown's like three thousand people, so that was kind of the jump I did. Like I don't know how familiar you guys are with Terre Haute, but it's not exactly a bustling metropolis. It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a big Indiana town, <laughs> you know? So okay. I went from that to LA, like that was the transition. And I, I just, and I couldn't handle that at the time. It was just, it was too big of a jump, but comedy wise, I think it really helped me out a ton. Cause I made a ton of connections right away. And there's just so much stage time there. It's just, you know, no, even like I think Indianapolis has a pretty good scene, but you can't do an open mic every night. I was doing three mics a night in L.A. And I mean, they're not all great. But when you're that young starting in comedy, all stage time is good. I, I don't agree. I don't think all stage time is good now. Those open mics aren't going to be useful for me in my position now. But at the time, just getting in front of people, no matter how shitty the dive bar is or how not paying attention there could be tvs on there could be mariachi bands playing but just (laughs) that act of being in front of a microphone talking out loud your jokes is not is it's completely useful so the amount of stage time i got helped me out a ton early yeah i mean that's a good point i mean i've been i've been doing stand-up coming up on three years now i mean i've been writing comedy for for eight years but you know i'm still at that open mic stage and in some cases, it's like, oh, it's hard to do this while there's a TV on and the game's on and people aren't paying attention and having their own conversation. But at this point, it's just me hearing my own words and like, you know, figuring out, did I say it the way I wanted to say it? Did I, you know, can I discover something else here? Because I Oh, yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's so much to that. And that, that's why I think uh, it's a mentality I'm glad I never had early, but like when you go into these shows and you start getting like pissed at the audience, especially like when you're young, like when you're learning to do this Mm -hmm. and you're like mad at the audience or like, Oh, they weren't paying attention. It's fine. You can still get stuff out of it. There's still things to do because there's there's just such a huge mental difference between, Oh, I thought of this great bit and writing it out and then actually performing it in front of strangers because there, there's been plenty of things that I thought were hysterical in this vacuum of sitting in my office and thinking about it. I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. And then when I actually say it out loud in front of people, I'm like, oh, this is bad. This is not good. <laughs> and then also the opposite. There's been things that I'm like, I don't even know why I'm going to try this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever thought of. And then it gets a standing ovation. So then you're like, well, yeah. I don't get this bit. Like, like this business is so weird with that. It's like such an art form that like you have to try it in front of other people. You can't, if you want to practice guitar for 10,000 hours, you can get really good at it before anyone ever even knows you own a guitar. With comedy, you can't do that. You can't sit in your, in front of your mirror for 10,000 hours and get good. You right. have to try it in front of real humans and it's, right. it's stressful and it sucks, but it's also very exhilarating. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I love that, that, that saying, you know, jump and then build your wings on the way down. It's like, yep, that's pretty much in the truest sense. That is what stand up is. Um, and that, that's why I love it. You know, a, a bit can go from nothing to like the greatest thing you've ever written or, you know, vice versa, like you said. Oh, and, and, uh, and there can be so much time too. like, like one of my, uh, it's not the joke we're going to be talking about today, but like 
a bit that I use all the time now, and it's it's probably my favorite joke overall. I wrote twelve years ago, mm. and just finally, probably within the last year, got it to work. So it's like like sometimes just your skill set changes. Like you might doesn't even mean the joke's bad. You're just not good enough to do it yet. That, that that's why you should you should never get rid of anything forever. You know, o- only get rid of things with when times change a little bit. Uh, I, I know the point of this podcast is anything can be funny, but there's also something to be said with, you know, sensibilities change. So you have to kind of understand that you can't always get away with things at certain times. You know, this this probably isn't the time to bash, uh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, <laughs> like, like, like right. maybe give it a couple days to sit, you know. But uh, but yeah, like the, just that time and, and just as your skills get better, you can pull things off that you couldn't before. Oh yeah. No, I, I never throw anything away. I just, I have a document on my computer called everything ever. And like, <laughs> and those are the things that I haven't used yet. Um, yeah. It's a very, it's a very broad title, but there are things there that I'll scroll through and be like, Oh, that's funny to me again. Like, let's see what I, what I can do with right. it. Yeah. So, and and glad you said that. That, that's why I'm interested like in, in like what you guys do for this podcast as well. It's just like, the can anything be funny? Cause like, like I, I have kind of mixed views on it sometimes where mm-hmm. I, I, I think everything can be funny, but I don't think everybody is equipped to pull every topic off. Like how many, you know, one year into comedy, white college dudes try <laughs> to say the N word or, or talk, do rape jokes. Like, mm-hmm. like, I don't think those are off limits per se, but most of us can't pull that off right? in With, a way, you know, like the, the exactly. topics aren't off limits. They might be off limits to you right? because you're just not good enough to do it. You know, I am, you know, I, I hope this doesn't sound cocky. I think objectively I've become pretty successful. I can't say the N word on stage. <laughs> it's right. not my place. It's not my brand. It's not. And I don't think it's because the topic is not, it can never be funny. It's just like, it, it would be a mistake if I tried it. So, so I kind of get like these mixed views on it because I think there's there's one like train of thought of like they're super PC where don't talk about anything controversial, don't talk about politics because you're going to split your audience, don't talk yeah. about you know religion because you're going to piss off religious people, and then there's the other train where they're like I'm going to say whatever I want and fuck you, it doesn't matter, right. and it's like there's got to be some nuance <laughs> in there, you know, everything's situational. Right. That, that misses the point. You know, I mean, that, that kind of mentality, that's like, oh, I got a store for fishing, but I just sell dodgeballs because, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, like, yeah, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's so strange to me that like, like how edgelordy some comics want to be about it. And, and it doesn't mean that anyone's trying to make you PC, like, but like every joke you say has to have a purpose. There has to be a reason you're saying it. Mm. And, and, and I think a good generic rule of thumb is whatever you talk about better be at least 51% funny. If it's yeah. more offensive than it is funny, it's not a good joke. It doesn't right. matter what the topic is. It, right. doesn't, it, it just doesn't matter. If you can make sure that it's at least a little more funny than it is, you know, offensive, you can do it. But like, if you, if you get like one laugh out of a hundred people because you said something racist, then you're just racist. <laughs> yeah. And the person who laughed is racist. That's how that works. <laughs> no, there's so much nuance to it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what we like to explore is, I mean, comedy isn't 
it, it shouldn't be like binary thinking is is so limiting and comedy explores the nuance that that exists in life so rather than being like right or wrong or offensive or acceptable is there's like we explore that nuance yeah oh yeah comedians and that's podcast and there's so much that goes along with it too like like who is saying it matters Mm -hmm. like like, um you know anyone who might be listening to this just audio and isn't familiar with me like i have a very noticeable disability so i can get away with talking about disabilities and making fun of people with disabilities and making fun of how people treat disabilities you might not have the same luxury afforded to you to say exactly what I say. It's, you know, going back to the, you know, the most traditional one of it is, you know, black comics versus white comics. Black comics can say certain things that we as white comics can't because you have a little bit more credence. You, you've you lived the life. You have the the history to back up what you're saying. You're, it doesn't sound like you're attacking them. Uh, so it's, people always forget that too. It's not... These, these jokes aren't in a vacuum. Topics aren't in a vacuum. There's a lot that matters. Where you're saying the jokes matters. Mm. You know, like like doing stand-up in China is probably a lot different <laughs> than doing stand-up in L.A. You know, like, it's just how it is. Right. And credibility, uh, like you were saying, I mean, that has a lot to do with it. You know, if a black comic talks about growing up, you know, being black, that's different from a white comic you know, doing it. Um, you know, if you go to a lecture and the guy comes up to the front of the room and it's about evolution, he's like, no, I've never read a book on evolution in my life. It's like, well, then we don't want to. Why are we listening to you? Then? Oh, I think that's called church. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what that's called. <laughs> Perfect. I think um, it just uh, where a lot of comedians fall short is they haven't established like who they are as a person and their intent of in which they're saying what they're saying. Like, you know, you can blurt out some offensive material as long as you've established that you're a harmless person and your yeah, intentions yeah. are harmless. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's why something like what uh, Anthony Jeselnik does works so well because people get who he is. They understand what he's doing. If you just do an open mic and you're doing four minutes and you do jokes like that, nobody knows who the hell you are yet. No one, like that's not enough time for them to really get to know you. You don't have this established, you know, all these years of, of credibility behind you. So that's why someone like, I think one of the worst things that happened in the last uh, 10 years of comedy was uh, Louis C.K. getting away with saying the N-word because people missed the point that he, you know, his other transgressions aside, but as a comedian, he had kind of earned the right to talk because he talked about everything. Like like he kind of had the credibility behind him to do it. But that made white open micers who have been doing it for less than a year be like, well, if he did it, I can do it. Nothing's off limits. See, I told you. Yeah, that's a trust thing, too, because the second he used that word, the audience knew that, okay, he's like he's built this trust with us. So we trust him to release that tension at at some point and make it okay. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, like most comics, and I would say I include myself in this as someone who is pretty good at this job. I, I, that's not tension I am equipped to release for right. an audience if I did it, which is why I don't do it. it, it it's the same reason, like, I, I, I have very strong political views. It's not what I personally do on stage. 
because I get too emotional in it. I get too wrapped up in it. So I'm not going to be able to ease that tension for everyone. It's just going to make it weird. I know that about myself. I have the self-awareness. It's not that I don't think you can't talk about it. I just know I'm not personally equipped at this point to pull that off in a way that I'd be comfortable with. Also, yeah, most, a, most comedians point. intentions aren't to reinforce your ignorance. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately a lot of people forget that or, or don't even realize <laughs> that. You can't laugh at that. The topic of this, of this episode is, uh, is physical visibility. Um, and you know, I, I saw you at East End and I walked in like right after you had gotten on stage and just every single line you had was just, you had so many different perspectives on obviously like your life. And uh, like you said, you know, you have the, the credibility to do that. Um, and it was just, it was so funny. I, you were up there for like 10, 15 minutes and just, just big punch after big punch. I mean, you, you had the, the, the room, you know, by the balls. It was so fun to watch you just work. And, uh, and then I saw you on AGT and I was like, oh, I know this guy. He's really <laughs> funny. He should do really well based off of that one experience. And then here you are coming in third place. Which is awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. Luckily, luckily I did do well. Cause uh, yeah, <laughs> cause, cause, cause AGT is not designed for comedians. It, no, it, I, it, it, it is a, it's a, it's a weird, like I loved it. Like, and I, I really thrived in it, but like, mm-hmm. it's tough to do it there. Cause especially just the nature of it. Uh, so many people who watch that show don't even understand that comedy is a talent. Cause, cause, cause the problem is like with, with comedy, if you're good at it, it looks easy. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm up there and I'm just, I'm talking into a microphone. I'm standing and talking, you know, the, the acrobats who are on fire, you know, <laughs> it physically, it, it, it has a visual like, Oh, like, Oh, that's impressive. And I know they work hard. I'm friends with these people now. I know they work hard, but it's just like anything else. They practice as much as I did and they got good at it. So it's, so it's not like it's like super dangerous or super, it's just what they do. They put the, they put the hours in and they're good at it now. Right. It just looks more impressive than me up there talking about my wiener. Right. There's that illusion. uh, And I think a lot of young comics, comics get it. You know, they, (laughs) the first time they get on stage, it's like, Oh, if he could just stand up there and make an audience laugh for an hour, well, I should be able to do that my first time, you know? Yeah. 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 One of my favorite things is uh, asking uh, a new comic how much time they have. (laughs) Just just like someone's been doing it like a year. How much time? I mean, I could probably got like a, like an hour and a half (laughs) stuff. Like, no, you don't. You probably got 10. Because anyone could talk for an hour and a half. You can't make it interesting for an hour and a half, but no. anyone, my mom could go up there and talk for 90 minutes. It's going to be awful, but she could technically do it. There's a difference <laughs> between having material and actually having good material. Yeah. There's a local open mic where they give you 10 to 15 minutes, regardless of how many times you've done it. And I see so many new comics go up there with just this swagger. And then when they come off stage, their shoulders are slumped after yeah. 15 minutes of just nothing. I, I think it's a, it's, it's a, a learning experience that we all have to go through. It's just, I mean, I, I bombed my dick off the first time I got to feature and do 20 minutes. But, oh God, I almost quit. It was that bad. It's but funny it, it, you it, should it's, point out your mother because uh, we have her on the line. 
So go ahead, Ryan's mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laughing. All right, I'd love to, to uh, talk about uh, the clip that you sent us. Sure. Uh, this this was, uh, introduce the clip for us and then we'll go right in. Uh, so this is a joke I've been doing for a long time. This recent one um, is from, this actual clip is from Salt Lake City. And uh, this particular joke is, uh, so it's a disability joke, but it also kind of has some uh, some racial undertones to it to kind of prove a point there. And a uh, little uh, behind the scenes uh, information uh, this is the joke. It got cut from AGT, so they let me do it on Champions, but it got cut from the final airing, and it's the joke that made Heidi Klum not like me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I take being a comedian with a disability very seriously. I, I like to be able to talk about it openly. So that's what I'm going to do with you guys here tonight. We're going to talk about some weird arm things. Yeah. Some cripple stuff. <laughs> And, that, and that's actually one of the big lessons. That's lesson number one right there. Cripple is our word. Cripple is our word. You don't get to say cripple is for me. Now you can say cripple. But it's that hard hole that's going to get you every time. Every time. That. that is a jam-packed just one minute um there's just like layers to it i feel like you know you said there's racial undertones um why, why did heidi not like it um i, I honestly think like and and i want to i want to preface anything i'm about to say now i got along with heidi just fine this isn't like a bitterness thing uh <laughs> you're not feuding yeah it's yeah not. It's, it's nothing like that it, it's uh you know be, being on champions is it's bonus time anyway you know like, like it was just an honor to be there so i don't want anyone to think that like i'm bitter or mad because just what it is but like i think honestly she didn't get it like 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 uh, and that's it's why i pick and choose where to use this joke i don't do it every set that i do because it's it's one of those type of jokes where if if you get it you get it and if not you just hear like, like I've had people call me racist for it before it, it doesn't happen very often these are usually don't get it or they laugh but people have like been like oh you're being racist and I'm like no you you missed the point of it because because they just hear the word Crippa is similar to something else. So they immediately go, oh, that's what it is. Like, like, like I almost put it like th- these are not an exact one to one, but it's like the controversy right now with that cuties movie mm-hmm. on Netflix. Most people that are mad about it saw the poster. That's why they're mad. They haven't actually watched the movie. And, and if you watch the movie and you're still offended, awesome. Like that's I, I, I am. I am someone who believes that it's not anyone else's place to police what offends other people. I, 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 I don't think people are soft because they're offended because you, everyone has their own perspective. You don't know where they're coming from that's going to make them. So, so if anyone ever gets offended by something I say, I'm not mad at them for being offended. I just want to make sure they're offended for the right reason. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that they're not offended just for the sake of. Because if you don't like me, you don't like me. That's fine. If you don't like that movie, you don't like that movie. But know why you don't like it. Don't just hate it because you saw someone retweet a hashtag. 
that made you mad. Those are headline people. Like all they read is the headlines of the article and they get mad about that, but they don't read the article itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's what frustrates me again. Again, it's not the offense. Like I, I always try to push that really hard. I'm not a comic who, who gets mad at PC culture because there is stuff that is offensive. And sometimes that's the point, but you don't get like, none of us are strong enough to get to tell anyone else they're not allowed to be offended. That, that, that's not how it works. Cause there's things that like, if you say to me, but like, like it, it always throws people off. And, and I, I, I have some weird interactions with this sometimes where, you know, I make jokes about my disability and I'm very open. It. I'm a big fan of like advocacy and awareness. And, and I, I laugh about it, but if I don't know you and you approach me at the supermarket and make a short arms joke, I'm going to be offended because you haven't earned that trust with me. Like, I'm still a human being who doesn't want to, like, like you know, that, that'd be like, you, you don't come up to me and call me a fat piece of shit either. Like, if I don't know you, <laughs> even if I have a sense of humor, I'm like, I don't know you. You don't get to, like, come into my circle right now and tell me I'm a cripple. Like, we're not, we haven't built that yet. So, uh, there, there's, like, again, like we were talking earlier, there's nuance, to what happens, you know? And so, so I don't, I don't want to police anyone being offended, but know why you're being offended. And I don't think Heidi knew exactly. I think she's just, she, she's, she's a wonderful human being, but I think she's just lived in a different world where she doesn't understand things like racial, you know, like, cause the, the whole point of that joke is essentially making fun of white people who want every excuse possible to say the N word. Right. Oh, they say it. That's what it is. Like, that's what the joke is. And I just don't think she lives in that world. Howie loved the joke. Alicia Dixon, who is black, loved the joke. They got it. They knew what was happening. Heidi, not so much. (laughs) Mm. It's funny how that works. Well, what I like about it is you open the bit by saying, you know, this is something that I take seriously, you know, so let's talk about it openly. And the way you deliver it is very serious. But what you're saying is, uh, it's, it's almost borderline silly. Because like to me, I saw that right away. But then again, I am a comic. So I'm looking for those things. Sure. Um, so that, that juxtaposition of like serious, you know, I'm taking this seriously. And then, you know, uh, that's our word. And you're, the way you deliver that just with such intent, <laughs> the performance of that is great. Right. And it is one of those things, I think with like, at least for me, I think a really strong joke is based in some seriousness. Like, like there are some comics who can just do silly things and it's funny. But I think for for most of us, we have this point of view that we take very seriously that we want to get across, you know, like if someone's a political comic, you know, and they're like, like if someone's making anti-Trump jokes, they're not just doing it because jokes are silly. They're probably pretty passionate about, you know, politics and their way of make talking about it and getting things out there is through humor because mm-hmm. they're, they're excited about it. Cause for me, there are things like, you know, when, when people come up to me, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about. When people are saying, you know, they, they come into my world and start making handicap jokes at me it is slightly offensive if I don't know who you are. Cause again, you, you haven't earned that, uh, that right with me yet. So that's kind of like, I do take that seriously. I, I think that's very important to, to know your audience and you can't just get away with saying whatever you want, whenever you want. And there's, there's consequences to it. 
you know? So I, I do take that seriously, but I don't want to sit up there. Uh, I'm not, you know, condemning people to hell. I'm not going to sit up there and preach at you about it. This is kind of my way of being like, Hey, sometimes when you say things like this, you're really fucking stupid. <laughs> and then oh, <laughs> I, I would rather kind of educate and get that point across with people going, Oh, 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 I have done that. I'm an idiot. All right. My bad. Well, it's right. like and when you, people you, come up to me and tell me all these sad stories I'm like, look, man, I'm emotionally crippled. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't need your burden on me. Right. All right. <laughs> have you tried living like me? <laughs> I'll tell you, that's hard enough. I can't have your shit mucking it up. <laughs> um, and you do, you make a good point about, you know, this is something that you take seriously, uh, but I think the best, one of the best ways to make a point is to make somebody laugh, you know, get somebody thinking in a way that they've never thought before without them even realizing it. Do you, do you ever take that into account when you're trying to make a point with a joke? Oh, that, that's a huge, but that, I mean, that's basically what my act was built on is doing that because you know, I'll, I'll be kind of perfectly honest, you know, like I'm pretty cool with it now because I've made it work for me, but living with a disability sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is it. If I was given the choice, if this was my like video game, uh, create a player, this is not what I would have went with. <laughs> you know, these are, <laughs> I would have paid for the DLC for fucking gun arms or something like that. You know, <laughs> been something useful. Um, so like, like that, that's the part that like, I want to be able to still get that across. Cause you know, this isn't easy. Even now, even now that I've become successful and I've kind of built this brand of advocacy and awareness, like it's still not fun, you know, like, like it's still, uh, you know, you know, there, there's parts of my life that like took me a while to get over. Like I, I'm not allowed to be anonymous. And this is before AGT, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're having a rough day, you can kind of put a hoodie on, just go to the grocery store. No one's going to bother you. I, I go anywhere. People know immediately there's a dude with a physical disability in the room. Like, like, like that's just, it, it's very aware. So then I'm, I, every time I leave the house, I have to worry about, okay, are there going to be some kids that stare or laugh or do something? Is somebody going to, as well-meaning as it might be, are they going to like awkwardly try to help me do shit that I didn't ask or need help with? You know, there, there's always this like sense there's things happening. So what I kind of want to do with my act a lot is get those points across that like, Hey, you guys, even if you're well-meaning people do dumb, inappropriate shit to individuals with disability. So if I tell these stories about these dumb things that other people did, hopefully you'll take something from that. And realize, oh, if they don't ask for help, they probably don't need it. So I'm going to leave them alone because they're just trying to buy their groceries. So that, that, that that's kind of how I structured a lot of when I talk about those topics. That's what it is, is just here's what it actually is. This isn't an after school special. This isn't, you know, I, I'm not here to be inspiration porn for you. I'm not here to make able-bodied people feel better about themselves. I have my own thoughts and feelings and emotions and want love and want work and want acceptance and all that. And here's how I'm going to get that point across. Right. Oh, I'm a human being. Yeah. Just like you. Weird how that works. Yeah. Right. So, and for me, I, I, and kind of like you were saying, I always, I think that humor is the better way to do it. I mean, 
look at any topic right now. If if all you do is chastise people, like if you're anti-Trump and you call every Trump supporter a racist, you're not really going to get anywhere with them. You haven't. You <laughs> yeah. ha- you're not. You're, you're not winning anyone over by. And it's just how it is. You know, you can so strongly believe like, hey, you're in the wrong if you think this way, but you're not going to turn anyone around. That's why I was always so anti-religion. You know, my, my hometown is very religious and, and I've loosened up on it a lot. Like now I'm like, if people can believe what they believe, as long as you keep it out of my face, I don't care. But my hometown is super religious. Like we allegedly had the, uh, the record for most churches per square mile, you know, because it was just everywhere. And the philosophy was always, oh, you don't 100% believe this? Well, I'm going to yell at you and tell you how bad of a person you are every day. You're like, why would I want to join that team? Why would I want to hang out with the people who just yell at me and call me a piece of shit? I'd rather hang out with these people doing charity work who might not be religious, but they treat me like a human. You know, so it's like you can, you know, what, what's the old cliche? You, you draw more flies with honey than vinegar. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of how humor works. You can, you can change people's minds and get your point across and maybe have them think differently without calling them an asshole. Right. Right. You think, I mean, it makes you more likable uh, exactly. if you're not attacking their position. It's so funny how people don't, don't realize that, you know, it's just like, I'm going to change your mind, you piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I, I get it to a certain extent because you get emotional. Like, like during yeah. this quarantine, I've had my moments where I just fucking snap for just a quick second. I'm like, no, that's not how masks work, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like you just have this moment in your head. Of like, like, because you're just you're so overwhelmed with what it is. So I, I get that, but you have to also be able to like pull back and be like, clearly yelling in someone's face doesn't get them to act right. You kind of right. have to get your point across a different way, and uh, and humor can work for that for sure. Yeah, even I mean, even just basic feedback. I mean, let's talk about in like a workplace setting. You know, if you have a boss who comes up to you and tells you all the things you did wrong, you're you're just from now on subconsciously you're just you've dug your heels in defense like there's no exactly approach me a little bit start with from a place of kindness first and then uh and then we'll go from there yeah yeah i I, I always forget what the uh the psychological the the actual term for it is but like the studies they've done of like how like when when you make someone feel like they're stupid for their position they dig in deeper because Mm -hmm. people would rather be wrong than have to admit they were wrong. Like, like they would rather just like stand up for their shitty belief, even if they figured it out that they were wrong. But if you approach them in such a way where you were condescending or treated them, they're never going to come around and be like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. They're going to dig into whatever ridiculous premise. I mean, that's how conspiracy theories exist for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's because people, if, if you treat them like they're just like you fucking morons, even if they kind of are, they're going to be so defensive and offended that now they're going to double down mm-hmm. on it because their personality is wrapped up too much into it. Too much of their self-worth has been built around it. And, and that, that's what happens with a lot of this stuff. So, so right. especially when it comes to the disability stuff, you're not going to get anyone on your side by yelling at them and making them feel bad. Right. You, got, you got to get them laughing. Even if you are able to break through with somebody and get them to see that they were wrong in that way. They're not going to like you. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
they're not going to you know, reach out for your feedback again. They're going to be like, yeah, he was right, but why do you have to be so mean about it? Yeah, he was such a dick. <laughs> and humor is a great tool for that. Um, and, you know, you make a connection right away with, with the audience with that. But um, your, your point of most of your material, at least what, what I saw, uh, is you pointing out other people's behavior in response to to seeing your handicap, like you have a bit about kids and you have a bit about, you know, your uh, exercise and dating and, and all through that lens. And you, you're saying the same thing and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I feel like you're saying the same thing, but in so many different ways, it's, it's fun to watch, you know, because it's like, Oh, I never thought about having to button a shirt or I never thought about, you know, having to, to have a Fitbit on like that's it. It's so funny. Yeah, and, and for me, like like my, like my live acts now, there, there's a lot of other stuff to, to my act now because there's other things I'm I care about and that right. I think is funny, you know. So it's not all this. Right. That, that that was always one of the most annoying, like negative feedback I got from AGT would be people who just don't get how that show works, and they're like, "Well, he just talks about his disability." I'm like, "Bitch, I get 90 seconds. What the hell do you want me to talk about? <laughs> like, like." Why would I not talk about the thing I'm passionate about and that is most obvious about me and sets me apart? It, it's that, that's such like a weird like thing for me that like with comedy and I'm sure there's others that get this to some extent, but people with disabilities in comedy, I think we're the main group that gets told that like joking about it is somehow cheating or hacky or whatever, because like any other comic, if you talk about your life, that's fine. Like, like, like people like, like, oh, well, he's talking about his, his kids. He's talking about his marriage. He's talking about his parents growing up. People are like, oh, that's so funny. I talk about my life, which happens to be the life of someone with a disability. It's like, oh, that's all he ever talks about. It's yeah. all like, it's like, bitch, it's my fucking existence. Like, I'm not... <laughs> I didn't make up a disability and decide this is the, the hacky thing that I'm going to be. This isn't a character I'm playing. This is my actual life. Now you can not think it's funny. Again, it goes back to the, I'm not going to police, you know, I'm not going to yell at you and say, you have to think I'm funny. If you don't think I'm funny, fine. That, that That's perfectly fine. But like subject matter. Oh, he only talks about like, bitch, this is my existence. And, and, and that's part of it. It's why I do it and why I'm so passionate about talking about it is that I think just as a society, the way that people with disabilities usually get framed is that you're not allowed to ever point out negative parts of it. It's, it's that inspiration porn. It's the, if you ever see someone on, on, you know, it's always like, oh, they've overcome and they're so positive and they're so, you know, like, like, like we're, not, we're not seen as anyone that ever has actual struggles or you're a dick. If you ever yell at you're a dick. Um, people with disabilities aren't allowed to be sexual creatures whatsoever. That's gross and weird to normies. So you're not allowed to like think that. So that's kind of how people have been conditioned. So when I come out there and, and I'm doing jokes about like, you fucking idiots, how could you ever think that? <laughs> like I can, I'm a human being. I can do this. People like some people will be like, oh, well, that's I don't can't believe he's talking about. It. I wish he'd talk about dogs more. I like dogs. I think dogs are funnier. Like, well, I'm sorry you're uncomfortable. This is what's happening right now. It'd be weird uh, if you didn't address it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Oh God. Like, and I actually, I'll say this sometimes uh, on stage when I'm talking about the AGT experience, I'm like, how much weirder would it have been if I never brought it up at all? <laughs> because it wouldn't matter what jokes I was telling the judges would just be looking at me like, well, he's got to know, right? Like, should we tell him? Should we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, his parents never tell him. He just thinks he's clumsy. Like, is that <laughs> the problem here? Like, <laughs> You're probably wondering why his gloves don't fit. This is sad. <laughs> and the comments would say, like, why didn't he address it? He should talk about that more. So yeah. there's no winning. <laughs> he can't win. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, and that would be exactly what it was. If I never brought it up, people would be like, he had such an opportunity. I can't believe. And, and the other thing that I always want to point out to people as well, of like why I talked about it. So there were there's. I got a little bit of negative feedback, not a ton. I don't want to make this sound like this was, it was like a half and half thing for the most part. Any feedback I got back was either it was very positive or indifferent, but there were the few people who would be like, he just talks about his disability. The amount of like tweets and DMS and people who have stopped me at shows, individuals with disabilities or individuals who have like children with disabilities who have thanked me in tears for actually having the balls to go up there and talk about the actual stuff and bring awareness and advocacy. Had I went up there and just talked about cats the entire time (laughs) would have been such an insult to them and a slap in the face to people who actually lived through this. So if anyone ever gets mad that, Oh, you just talked about my disability. You can never stop going and fucking yourself because that is, it's not for you. Yeah, but All you right? would have cornered it's the single mom me market. and people like me who are not represented on television whatsoever. I think like 25% of Americans have disabilities. Less than 3% of anything depicted in entertainment is someone with a disability. And the people who have the disabilities depicted on television most of the time aren't actually people with disabilities. It's Brian Cranston pretending he's paralyzed. That's what's happening. So anyone who gets, oh, he just talks about disability, go fuck yourself forever. That's what I say to that. Sorry, I got to get passionate about that. It makes me so mad. It makes oh, me I, so mad. I can understand that. I mean, I'm sure it, you got inundated with stuff as you were, you know, as the show was on, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 the, one, and, and the other thing, too, I think this comes to comedy theory. At the end of the day, if people are laughing, who gives a shit what you're talking about? I always put it in this context when it comes, like I'll use Larry, the cable guy as an example. I personally do not think Larry, the cable guy is funny. I don't think the material is clever. It's not for me, but that dude sells out giant theaters. There are millions of people who think he's hilarious. So who am I to tell him not to do what he's doing? I just accept the fact that he's not for me. These comics might be for me. So when you try to tell a comic, oh, you shouldn't talk. No, just just accept that maybe I'm not for you and move along with your day. Because clearly a lot of people liked me enough to vote me third place on America's Got Talent. So somebody thinks this is funny. (laughs) It's just not you. Right. So I used to have that with like bookers in the past that like they they wouldn't want to rebook me or they were so scared about like, oh, we, we don't want this like novelty act. Even if you think I'm a novelty act, who gives a shit? I got a standing ovation, you fucking moron. People (laughs) liked it. Who cares what you think about it then? Like, go to hell. You're not the fucking gatekeeper of comedy. Like, there's plenty of successful comics that I don't quite get, 
but I'm not going to tell them to do it different way because clearly they have a $10 million house. They figured something out. <laughs> that's a, that's a great point. I mean, you're not for everybody. Like, I don't understand that, that, that self-importance, that kind of like, Oh, I didn't think they were funny. So now I have to comment on this or I have to, you know, like tell people I did. It's, yeah. They're not going to like every song. You're not going to like every movie. You're not going to like every comedian. Yeah. So it, it, watch so the ones strange. you like and go. Yeah. It's so strange. Cause like, and the other context too, is like even the most successful people in any kind of field, like, like, like for me, my, my go-to top comic is Dave Chappelle. I would venture to guess if you actually looked like statistically, the majority of human beings on the planet do not think he's funny. Just statistically, because sure. yeah, there's different there's different views of comedy. So yeah. even the most successful, probably I think the all time greatest comic there ever was, most people don't like him. So shut up, everybody. Just like what you like and move on with your day. I, I get I get passionate about that on a lot of things. I think mm-hmm. it comes from being a pro wrestling fan. It's the same reason too of like going back to the can you joke about it. That's why I, I don't think I, I do believe there are certain things you should be canceled for. Uh, you know, I think Bill Cosby should be canceled <laughs> for the things he did. Uh, I'm kind of an advocate. Like I, I, I'm a little on the fence about it, but like Louis CK, I think that's pretty shitty what he did, you know, cause they're, they're coworkers. There's people whose careers he could have affected. I don't think he should be canceled for saying the N word. I don't, I don't think he should be like, like, there's certain things I, I think words matter and they're, they're important, you know, like, like you, you can look at the situation now, we might not be in quarantine and lockdown and all this shit still, if the president didn't spend the first month going, ah, it's a hoax. Don't worry about it. His words matter. You yeah. know, wh- whether you like him or not, his words are important. He's the leader of this country. That matters. If, if, if you're a person you know, if you're a famous comic, what you say matters. If, if you say something offensive, it matters. But like you also, I don't think you should be canceled because you told a joke 10 years ago and then sensibilities changed. Yeah. That's you know? silly. Be- be- because, uh, you, you know, I- I'm big on, on trans rights and things like that. I think that's important, but I'm not going to get mad at a comic who made a tranny joke 20 years ago before sensibilities changed on it, before people started coming around on it. I think that's unfair because you can only write your jokes based on the circumstances of the immediate. I'm sure there's shit right now that seems so harmless that people joke about that in 20 years, we're going to be like, oh God, that was awful. I can't believe that we used to joke about that. Hoarders. And I, I think it's unfair to cancel someone for something like that. Now, if you make an anti-trans joke now, you should know better. Yeah. That's, you know, read like, the room. That's the difference. Exactly. Read the room. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to tell a joke uh, if I know it's going to offend the room. You know, I mean, you should be smart enough to, to be able to do that. That's it, The intent is key, but also the awareness of the situation. It, exactly. Yeah. And that's, the, that, that's what frustrates me so much about the, the comics who are so anti-PC everything is that like at the end of the day you should be doing this because you want 
to make money and you want to like, to, I, I, I don't, I don't get the people who get into this just to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like you don't necessarily have to like think like, Oh, this is my career. I, I want to get an HBO special. Some people just do it for fun and that's fine as well. But I, I don't understand the, like, like, I think some comics are just like, it's like the real life version of internet trolls who just yeah. like, like, I'm going to go out there and say the N word. It's going to be hilarious. Oh, oh, there's a bachelorette party. I'm going to joke about raping them. It's going to be funny just to piss them <laughs> off. And it's just like, what is wrong with you? Like you're a sociopath. Like uh, you're, you're not making a statement. You're not like, like if you're going to tell a joke, that's going to offend some people. It needs to make a statement. You need to be like pointing out some sort of societal flaw or whatever. Just saying something to be offensive makes you a hack and you're an awful human. Right. It, it ignores the nuance in it. And you exactly. can't be surprised when people are mad about it. Like those were your intentions. Yeah, how are exactly. you mad? You, you know, like how, how unaware of the world you have to be to not know that's going to ruffle feathers. Right. Like, you know, like you have to be so clueless to yeah. think like, like, Oh, if, if I, if I, you know, use these terms to refer to a gay person they're mad about it what like right. how do you not know you know they're offensive words you know that right that's it's almost like when you're a kid and if you touch your brother one more time you're grounded young man and you're like eh. yeah and then and then the, you're still grounded because you're being a piece of shit right. exactly exactly <laughs> When I first, I don't know, I was maybe like four or five months into doing stand-up, but I did an open mic in Denver. And about an hour and 15 minutes in, this comic goes up and he drops the N-word in the first minute of his set. And the room, the, to- the tone of the room just changed on a dime. As it should have. Yeah. Frankly. And he finished. Guess who was next? <laughs> Me. And I didn't have the skill level at that point to, to really like draw attention to it. So I just did my set and got no laughs the whole time. And it's like, if you do that as a as a comedian, you're you're not only ruining it for yourself and the people it, like the, your audience. Now they're unhappy, but you're also taking away from other comics. So now you know, people will be like, "Can you believe what this comedian said?" And then now they're looking for all the other comedians who have said something similar. And it just it sets a tone. It sets a, an unfair precedent. Yeah, it's selfish, mm-hmm. is what it is. And it's again, it's not me. I, I I will repeat it until I'm blue in the face. I don't think any topic or word is is off limits per se. I, I don't think, but like when you go up and do that, especially at something like an open mic, it's a completely selfish act mm-hmm. because it you don't you don't care about the the other comics, the audience's well being. You've made it all about you. You've ruined that experience for everyone for the sake of it, and. And I, I know comedy is usually like it's it's usually a solo act. It's kind of you in your set in that moment. But there is collaboration to it. There's a reason shows are built the way they are. There's a reason that maybe the headliner doesn't want you as the MC saying cunt 30 times because it affects how the room's going to be. It doesn't mean that they're trying to censor you or they're a dick, but there's a certain way a show builds that makes it a great experience for everybody and makes you have success. It's one thing I'll tell uh, MCs when I'm on the road right now, because, because my live show is not 
100% squeaky clean. I, I haven't, just because AGT kind of has that like vibe to it, I don't go out there and do good old-fashioned Christian humor. That's not who I am. But I'm also scaled back slightly for a business standpoint. Like, I want these new AGT fans to be Ryan Niemeyer fans for life, not to get them to buy a ticket once, get offended because I said fuck a hundred times, and then never come back again. There's a business thing to it. You can still get your point across without pissing people off. So I will sometimes tell MCs, and again, it's not to stifle them. I'm like, you can say whatever you want. If you want to do your jokes the way you want to do your jokes, fine. But I want to let you know my fan base has a certain expectation because they're not comedy fans. They're fans of America's Got Talent. So they're expecting a super clean thing. So if you go out there and curse a lot, I'm not going to be mad at you, but you're probably not going to do very well. I want to set you up for the most success possible because it's not only going to help you, it's going to help the show. I've been doing this long enough and I'm, I feel I'm comfortable enough in what I do that no matter what you do before me, I can fix it. I can get myself and still have a good set. However, if you go out there just guns blazing as an upstart MC thinking like, I got this great bit about raping chicks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's probably not going to go well with my audience. To me, that should be like the first thing you learn as a comic. Not even writing jokes. It's knowing how to connect with an audience yeah, from and, where they are. Yeah, yeah there, there's so much. Like, like I would I'll always try to hammer home to people. Like if anyone's like maybe an, uh, uh, wants to start comedy or is an upstart comedy and has these thoughts about like PC culture and all that, I think it's really comes down to at the end of the day, it's can versus should. Can you say these things? Yes. Should you? Probably not. Like, not if you want this to, like, be successful and work. There's just certain things that I, – I think people misunderstand the First Amendment so much with things like that, where it's like, can you say it? Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're free from consequence. It just means the government can't put you in jail for it. That's, you know – that, 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 that's a dummy who's not an expert on constitutional law or anything like that. But that's really, from what I understand, is the bare bones of it. And you we're can not, say whatever you want and you won't go to jail for it, but it doesn't mean you can't be fired. It yeah. doesn't mean you're not going to get punched in the mouth. doesn't mean you're not going to you know, lose friends and family. It just means you won't go to jail. That's it. And for new comedians, we're not discussing the bomb. Like, you can get up and bomb on good material. Or oh, not yeah, offensive material. We're not. We're not saying that the because I think so often comedians get confused with. Well, I just went up there and bombed. Like, no, you ruined the show. Yeah, <laughs> there's a yeah. difference. There's a yeah, huge yeah. difference between that. There's a difference between the bomb and ruining a show. You can get up and bomb all day long and still be a good comedian. Oh yeah, but yeah. As I long still as you haven't now. ruined the show for everyone else, exactly. Like, I have shows now. Like, like, admittedly, it's a lot less frequent than it used to be. Having those TV credits does give you some credibility with the audience, but sometimes, like, it's just not your night. You know, it's either you know you've already done two hour long performances, and so now it's the midnight show on a Saturday night, like. You're exhausted. The audience sometimes just not going to work your way. And for some reason, what I like, I, I'm always a big advocate too of like, 
never blame the audience, even when it's their fault. Cause you just don't know what they went through. Like, like now obviously a rowdy crowd that's like heckling you and shit. Those people are assholes and they can fuck off. Okay. But yeah. like, if you just bomb, it's not necessarily because the audience is uptight. Maybe they just didn't like you. You don't know. Like, like, when you do the show, where you do the show, that stuff all factors in too. And you kind of learn as you go along in comedy that you have to attack shows differently. Like if I'm doing a comedy club, the Friday early show and the Friday late shows are always going to be a different energy and you have to attack those shows differently. You know, the, 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 the early show, they usually still have the energy. They're fine. It's excited. It's 7 p.m. They got off work at 5.30. They're still kind of ready to go. It's the weekend coming. You get to that 10 o'clock show, people are like, fuck, why'd we buy these tickets? I had to work all day. I've been up since 6 a.m. <laughs> now we're out here. The energy change. It doesn't mean that like suddenly the same jokes I did for the first show aren't funny anymore. There's there's different things that happen. Like You have to learn to read audiences, and I think that's what's most important with it's a skill. And when it comes to telling possibly offensive jokes, you have to know your audience. You have to be able to read how to make that work. There are certain jokes that I tell about having a disability, and I've gotten pretty good at this over the years, but you can get the wrong reaction for something you think is funny because you didn't read the room right. I will sometimes have talked about topics that I think are hilarious, but the audience just goes, aww. They feel bad for you. Like, like that, that's not offending them, but I still fucked up because I didn't read the audience. Right. I, this bit didn't work because instead of making them laugh, I made them feel bad for me. (laughs) And that's not what you want either. No, no. I mean, you you have to read the room. You have to, uh, I mean, adapt to it, you know? So how do you respond to that, that awe now? Do you still get that or have you, you know, crafted your material. I've crafted it enough where it it happens very, very rarely now. Um, I did figure out a stock response for it. If it does kind of ever happen to sort of get it back. Um, Essentially, I give someone like, if I say something and it's usually just one drunk white chick, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It always is. But but, but if she's like, Oh, I'll be like, no, 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 no. I don't want your odds. No, no, no. I don't, I don't want your sympathy. The only time I want your sympathy is if you're going to, if it involves cash or ass, that's it. <laughs> that's it. If you're going to pay me or fuck me, you can feel as bad for me as you want. Otherwise, shut up. I don't need it. I've been on television. <laughs> right. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. I'm like, I'm good. But but usually kind of putting it in that context. If you want to pay me or fuck me, you can feel as bad for me as you want. <laughs> we can. I'm a businessman. Yeah, exactly. I'm not Let's make this transactional. Exactly. <laughs> I've learned to kind of uh, lean into the, the bullshit that gets thrown at me. Um, you know, things that I've gone through in my life. So when did you, like, what made you decide to um, make, I mean, obviously you have to address the elephant in the room, but you know, how did that, come about when you first started doing it? Like what kind of growing pains did you have to go through? Um, honestly, when I first started like actually doing stand up, it wasn't that bad. Like I, I, I had the same growing pains that any of us have when we start of just like, we all suck. That's yeah. just how it is. You, you suck early on. Like that's the point there. There's, 
there's very few stories of someone like Eddie Murphy who just nailed it right away. You know, like I think people often forget that like that first special, he was like a year into doing standup. He was like 20 years old or something ridiculous. Like that's not the norm. No, Most of us are shitty for a very, very long time. Um, when it came to like wanting to address the disability and stuff like that, it wasn't too bad just because I've been doing it my whole life. That, that's sort of how I learned to survive. You know, like I said, I grew up in a really small town in a trailer park, you know, like in Indiana. Like there, there's very, there's a, a certain mentality of a town like that, where, it, where if you're different, there's a chance you could be very much targeted and, and really become like the focal point of people's, you know, vitriol. And for me, I kind of learned really, really young, like four or five years old, that if I make the jokes about it first, I'm going to win this. Like, and I was also very lucky that not only I had at least a little confidence to be able to try that, and also, uh, you know, just I, I kind of have an innate skill. There's there's plenty of things I'm shitty at. I have naturally good comedic timing. Like, like that's just one of the things that I, you know, I think it's something you can learn in this business because not everyone is – there's a lot of successful comics who had to learn it. For me, it was just one of those things that luckily so, some people are, are, are good with tools. <laughs> you know, they have skills like that that they're innately good at. I happen to be able just to know how to tell a joke that sort of worked for me. And I kind of learned early, like, Oh, I can make this thing that really probably to most people, disabilities aren't funny. You know, we're, we're taught not to laugh at the kid in the wheelchair or, you know, things like that. You're not supposed to laugh at that. So, but I kind of learned early to make it my own so that when I actually got into stand up. It was like, okay, now I'm just doing this on a formal scale. It's not just in a classroom or on the playground or in one-on-one situations with people I meet. Now it's with strangers and my voice is amplified. That's the only difference. Right. And you make a good point too, uh, beating them to the punch, beating them, the other people to the joke, uh, that it takes the power away from them. Like if if you ever try to pick on somebody and they're like, no, I know I am like, right. <laughs> yeah, I like, do suck. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And let's go, <laughs> like, let's get the other yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's also because I, I was never, you know, I, I, I was good at playfully ribbing people. I knew what it was like to be a target. And luckily I was equipped to be able to dodge that most of my childhood by making the jokes first. So I, I was, I was very good at coming to the defense of other people like that as well, who were targets who maybe weren't able to defend themselves from it. Um, Cause there is, there is a lot of power. In, and I know it's like, it's the cliche of every sitcom that like involves a bully picking on a kid. Like, well, if you stand up to the bully, the bully's gonna, there is something to say for that. Like, like some people are just dicks and they're going to double down or whatever, but like, you can't take the power away. Like, like I was so good at the jokes that people would be like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, I'm glad you don't have risks. Cause I'd be scared that you're going to slit them. Like that's getting very, <laughs> this is getting very intense. Like, yeah, we're just joking around. But so like it, it ended up fucking up some of my adult, uh, 
my, my adult self-confidence for a while. I had to kind of uh, recorrect that position. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there can be some danger. And like, even if they're just jokes at the time, if you tell yourself something long enough, you start to believe it. That's that, That's how any kind of deep wrong thought. I mean, that's how a conspiracy theory works. We'll go back to that again. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you say this wrong thing enough, or you hear this wrong thing enough, it becomes the right thing in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, like you, you can take that power away from people. And, and I think that's how actual progression on major topics happens. You know, there's always going to be people that fight back against it. You know, when it comes to the disability, there's still people that are like, you should never joke about this. How dare you? My kid has a disability and it's not funny. He gets picked on. This isn't funny. How are you laughing? But like over time, the more you kind of get it out there, the more normalized it comes. I mean, there's obviously still work to do on certain things, but like, look at how people who are gay now are accepted versus like 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like, again, there's still work to be done. I don't want to say this isn't a, a mission accomplished and we're going to fly a flag on an aircraft carrier situation. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not that, but, <laughs> but strides happen because a lot of brave people who are suffering refuse to shut up when they were told to. That's how you get things done. So when you talk about these uncomfortable things, look at stuff like Black Lives Matter now. It's making a lot of people very uncomfortable. And that is what's going to lead to actual change where we don't have to have this shit going on. That's how you that's how you make that happen. And that's how I always look with disability. Like my goal is and I don't know if it's going to happen in my career span but you get enough people normalizing, talking about disabilities like it's no big deal, then I don't have to joke about it because then it's just a thing I have, just like I have red hair, you know, like it just becomes a part of me, but it's not a big deal. Right now, it's still a big deal because people have not fully accepted the fact that people with disabilities exist and have normal things that they want, normal desires, normal dreams, normal passions. And until people kind of fully accept that, I'm not going to shut up about it. No, and that's, I don't expect you to. I mean, it's like, like you said, it's like throwing away a joke. Never throw away a joke because your skill level will continue to progress. And, you know, although you're making an impact now with how you're, you know, delivering the material and destigmatizing something, you're only going to get better at it. So maybe there's those few people who a few years ago were totally resistant, you know, that mom who's like, my son's disabled. You should never joke about that few years down the road, you know, plus, you know, your level of success, um, you'll get better at it to the point where you've made a connection with her. And she's like, well, maybe it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, in, in a vacuum, I even had it with a few people who like went out of their way when they saw my audition on AGT to, tell me how much I sucked and that joking about disabilities is, is easy and it's bullshit to buy the finals. We're like, okay, you won me over, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause, cause a lot of times it's how it's framed. Those, those first, uh, there, there, there's a, especially when it comes to AGT specifically, cause that's the world I know. There's a big difference between the first audition, which is pre-taped, you know, you, you do that a couple months before it airs and, you know, because at that point, they don't know who's going to be good, who's going to bomb. They don't know exactly what it is yet. So that gets shown a little differently than when I'm on live television and I can kind of have these reactions in the moment. 
where they can be like, oh, it's not just a prepackage. This guy is actually, you know, he's smart. He's quick on his feet. He's he's not only this. You know, he has more things going. Got it. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, the uh, the perception that. I don't know. I feel like there's a perception from people who are like, you can't joke about that, that people who are disabled are just sad about it all the time. And like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We should feel bad. Exactly. It's so weird. Like we're, we're people with disabilities. Again, I, I think we mentioned it a little bit earlier about like how we're depicted in TV and film mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff is there's, there's two types of people with disabilities according to those stereotypes. It's either sad all the time. Woe is me. Or, I'm so super inspirational and positive all the time. If I can do it, you normal people can do it too. Like, like those are the two views of this. And again, we've mentioned nuance a lot tonight. There's a lot, people are everything. You know, yeah. people are, are both selfless and selfish. People are, you know, rude and they're caring. You know, like we're all things as people, depending on the situation. And you know, even now, I, I've I figured things out for the most part. You know, like I'm, I accept that this is my lot in life. I'm I'm not waking up with arms tomorrow. That's not how this works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I accept that. So, though overall, I think I've I've made the best of it. I've turned it into a positive. I'm okay. I still have really rough days, and that's okay. We're allowed to have that as well because we are all things we're allowed to be pissed off about certain things, you know, it's how it works. And that's why I think what I do, but not to be douchey about it. Like, I think it's important that more people like me actually get out there and talk about it to destigmatize it. Like you said, to normalize Mm -hmm. it so that, that it's not a big deal anymore. And so that I can live a more normal existence I didn't realize being a redhead came with so much baggage. Oh gosh, man! The the, the, the sun is a mortal enemy. It's God when when the, when the giver of life is trying to murder you at all times. Like that's a rough way to start. You cross the line. You find a way too in your performance style. Uh, it's very boisterous. It's very you. I mean, in this conversation, it's like uh, you're just leaning into who you are a little bit harder than, you know, obviously a day-to-day conversation. And you bring kind of a silliness, like a lightheartedness. So even though your words are saying what you're trying to convey, your body language and the way you say things just adds that extra layer to it. And and it's why I can get away with certain stuff. Uh, It's why it's important. There's so much to this craft that isn't just the actual words you're saying. Mm. That like, like there, there's so many comics. Um, I'm trying to think if I can think of any examples that people might know. That I, I'll actually use one that, that's an AGT guy, um, and, and I would say this to him. So I don't want anyone tweeting at him saying I'm talking shit. But like on paper, Preacher Lawson would not be funny if you are reading it as like a script. Like, 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 like if you read like a page of like what he was saying, if all you were doing was reading it with no performance behind it, no visual behind it, just reading those thoughts, you might get a chuckle here and there, but I don't think a lot of it's outwardly like, ha ha, laugh out loud, funny. You get preacher performing it. 
And on that stage and in that context, it's some of the funniest shit you will ever see. There's so much more to it. And, and it's the same reason why sometimes people who – it goes the other way too. Someone could be really successful and write the funniest tweets on the planet. And then you go to see them do a live show and you're like, this is awful because they don't – there's no showmanship. There's no performance to it. So there, there, there's so much more to like – if you want to talk about offensive stuff, you got to be a performer too. You got to have those kind of chops. You got to be – I can get away with saying some stuff because on stage, I'm very likable. People don't feel threatened by me. You know, I, I do jokes about how I'm trying to date women because my hand is shaped like a dildo. That's very <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> that is an aggressive <laughs> move. But when you put this like kind of cheery, kind of boisterous, haha coat of paint on it, it's very non-threatening because they know I'm not actually trying to attack them. With anything, it's just like a uh, how about that, huh? Like, yeah. like so, so, so I think people like any performer. If you're trying to, if you want to talk about edgier stuff and it's not working, also don't necessarily take a look at the joke and the words. Maybe take a look at your style, how you come across. Because because there's certain people, it's unfortunate, but like they might be really funny and they're harmless, but. If you give the vibe of being a creeper, for instance, you probably can't tell these jokes that maybe I could tell, you know, because you, you kind of have to know how other people perceive you as well and then work with that or craft what you're doing a little bit to get over that because we all have certain looks, you know, like I, 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 it's not fair, but, you know, if you're like in a mostly white community and a black comic comes in, everyone has this instant like thought process of what they're going to be. And that might not be fair. It might not be who they are, but you still have to acknowledge it. If you're, if you're the performer, you have to do know how to get around that. I have to do it too. When people would see me before AGT, they see a handicapped guy go up there. There's a certain expectation of what he's going to do. And I have to break that mold. It's my job. You can't, you can't politely ask a crowd of 200 people, hey, could you not um, have any preconceived notions, please? <laughs> could, you, could you not make first impressions at all of anyone? I guess you, you have to know as a performer, again, fair or not, it's not always fair. Uh, it, it, it's, it sucks being, I would imagine, being a female comic who there's such this mentality with fucking neckbeards who think that no women are ever funny. It's a preconceived notion, and fair or not, you you have to do something to get past that, to get them over it, and and that's that's just how this works. So it's not just the words, it's not just the jokes. You have to also make yourself accessible. Yeah, there's, I mean, chapters about these things, just these little things that you don't think about, especially being new to it. Like you don't take that into account. Oh and yeah, because when you're new, your your entire thing is. Oh God, please survive. Like that's all you're worried about. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, that I'll tell any new comic or someone who wants to try comedy, like, well, what do you do to start? I'm like, the whole first year is about just doing shows and wanting to do it again. If you get some laughs, that's great. Except that you're going to be terrible because this is things that takes a lot of practice and a lot of reps. And, but literally all it is is about doing it. And no matter what happens, wanting to do it again, that's the first year. Yeah, that's it. I always tell yep. new comics or people are like wanting to get in it. It's all about getting the light. As long <laughs> yep. as you've gotten the light, yep. you've Just succeeded. Get to the light. Just get yourself to that light and know that eventually 
you will if you continue working at it, you will get good. But yeah, it, it, start, it, it is impossible to not get better at this with reps. Now, it could take some people a lot longer, like, and you have to have a little self-awareness. One mm-hmm. of the saddest things in the world is even if they're great people, when like I again, I'm very fortunate that I'm equipped with really good natural self-awareness that I know when I'm doing well and I know when I'm doing poorly. Like objectively, I can tell that. Nothing is worse than a comic who always bombs and never changes the material, but thinks they're doing great. Like, and so again, can we I, tell him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, I'm, I, I will never. <laughs> if you're bad and you bomb, it happens to all of us. Right. That's just how it. Bombing is part of the deal. I still bomb occasionally now, and I'm successful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in whatever, I still have rough nights. But like people who I've seen do the same 10 minute set for five years and never get a laugh. I'm like, you got to know, right? Like you have to have that self-awareness. And and I've seen it. This doesn't happen as often, but I've seen it go the other way too, where people will crush all the time and their self-awareness is so skewed that they think they're bombing, that they think they're terrible. They come off stage and they're like, well, this part of this line didn't work right. So I fucking suck. I'm out of here. And you're just like, you have to also know legitimately when you kill too. So you can actually enjoy that moment. You know, people, I think people often throw uh, around the term kill. Oh, I, I killed it out there. You killed it out there. You probably did. You just had a good set and that's fine. <laughs> but you have to objectively know so that you can enjoy the splendors of it. You know, like, like I killed on AGT. I put in the work. I, I, I want to be able to, pat myself on the back a little bit because I know how many times I didn't kill and how many times I struggled to get to the point where I could get on that stage and crush it. Right. I earned Uh, this. Exactly. I did earn this. You know, I didn't, uh, you know, AGT, you kind of, you become an overnight sensation, but I I did comedy for 12 plus years before I got that chance. You know, there's no such thing. Yeah, exactly. I did a lot of dive bars and a lot of, you know, my, my career is definitely packed with a lot more, shows for three drunk people at a bar who didn't know it was comedy night <laughs> than it is, you know, packed theaters and standing ovations for sure. It's too real. Well, it's yeah. an inspiration knowing that some of us get out of that. Yeah, it is. Not, uh, eventually you can claw out of it. If you want, so. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's, it's the, um, cause I know something like, I don't want to come up. I know when I do really well and I don't want to, you know, just be like, oh, I, you know, I don't, when people are like, dude, you killed out there. I don't want to like seem vain about it. But at the same time, it's like, I did. Like, But also at the same time, I'm like I'm thinking about that one joke that I could have done better. Sure. And I, I think that's like a natural state as well. Um, I got, I got some really good advice early on in my comedy career that stuck with me. Uh, and if anyone else gets something from this, I, I hope it could be useful, but the, the advice that I got was leave the set in the room. So no matter, no matter what happens. So if you bomb, leave it in the room. If you crush, leave it in the room because the next show is its own thing. So don't, don't get too high. Don't get too low. Cause like some people, like it's just their natural state. Like if, if they bomb, it ruins their month. Like they're yeah. going to be thinking about how bad it was. And, and, 
I think comedy is important. I don't want to downplay like the, the what laughter can do. Like there's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what I did in this room doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, like, like if you bomb at an open mic in front of three people, they forgot about it tomorrow. They, they, they forgot about it when the next comic starts, like to you, it's very important because you live through it, but you also have to remember that little bit of perspective. If you bomb, who gives a shit? Nobody, not, like those people saw it. It was a rough night, whatever. Get in your car, listen to a podcast, go home, get some sleep. Right. And it means nothing. And, and the same, and the same thing with crushing. Cause you can bomb just as easily tomorrow, <laughs> you know? So like, don't let yourself get too like, Oh, I'm fucking great. Yeah. Can't be stopped. I'm so good at this. Just enjoy that moment. And then leave it. Second, second, I close the door to my car. It's okay. I'm gonna go home and play some video games. I'm gonna let's listen to this podcast. See what's going on. Like catch up on sports scores. It's over. Yeah, it's another that, day at that, the office. That moment's happened. It's done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's and even when you do kill, like people already forgot about you when they got home. Oh yeah. That, that one, a balding guy was pretty funny. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's what it was. Yeah. The amount of time. Um, and especially when you're starting too, you just have to understand that like, it's all about just trying to improve a little bit better or learn something mm-hmm. each time when you do it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have like any major credits behind you, people probably aren't going to fucking remember you anyway. The, the amount of times that like I've had people see me for a second time. And they were like, dude, I tried to find you online. It was Ryan E. Miller, right? Like they, like they don't even remember your fucking name. <laughs> like they don't know who you yeah. are. You know, cause like you just don't have it. So you can't take it personally. It's all about just getting better at the craft and being a little better than you were last time, learning something from what you did. That's what it is for a while. Cause this is a, this is an expensive hobby for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I, uh, I'm doing this 14 years now. I finally started making money last year. <laughs> you know, like that was like the first time that I've actually made like, like I've survived off it in the past, but it like, you know, in that way that you don't get a hotel when you're driving home from that gig and you sleep in your car because you can't spend the hotel money. Cause that was the entire thing that you made at the show. Right. You know, like, like that's kind of how I got by and survived. So, so it's been, you know, one fourteenth of my career, I've actually felt comfortable, and then fucking COVID happened. <laughs> she took that away. So COVID's like, are you sure you want this? Are you sure? Uh, you've had Proof. it too easy. You've had it too easy, cripple. Let me go ahead and throw this. <laughs> <in you. laughs> All right. Uh, so rounding the, this out, um, I think you know we, we talked a lot about nuance, and I think that's a that's a good lesson to be learned uh, when it comes to joking about something um, uh, like a physical handicap. What about, uh, from your perspective, somebody who uh, does not have a physical handicap that wants to make an observation of something that they saw? Uh, like, what's the best way to communicate humor? I mean, obviously, it, it varies per situation. Sure. Um, uh, this, I think, applies to any group, not just people with disabilities, but... Um, I, I would say there's two things. Um, number one, don't punch down. So you can make fun of someone if you're on equal playing field 
or you make a joke about them, but you're kind of the victim. They get the best out of you. I think that's perfectly acceptable. But like, don't punch down. That's why, like, you don't make jokes about the homeless. You know, like, although that's why those are much harder to get to work because they're already suffering. That's why right now jokes about you know individuals who are transsexual, like they don't work because like they're already suffering. Like they're being you know bigoted and like targeted and attacked and killed. Like oh, and you're making fun of them for this. Like don't punch down. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and then the other thing that that I always try to keep in mind, you I think you can joke about different types of people, but if it's a situation, like say you're a white comic and you have a joke about black people, if you wouldn't tell that joke in front of a black audience, it's an offensive joke. If you won't tell the joke in front of the target of the joke, then it's just an offensive joke and you're an asshole. Yeah. That's all there is to it. If, if you have a joke about black people and you'll tell it in Compton, then hell yeah. Tell that joke. If, if you're, if, if it'll go over that way, like that, that Crippa joke kills in front of black audiences. Cause they get it. Right. If I was so nervous and scared to say it, because what will they think? Then it's probably not coming from a, a point of like actually trying to do comedy or mm-hmm. make a, you're just trying to be edgy and say offensive shit. So if you want to make a joke about disabled people, awesome. You better be willing to say it in front of me. Yeah. That's, all, that's all I'm saying. If I, yeah, if but don't walk it, up to you in a store and, and yeah, say yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. I don't do that when I'm trying to fucking buy bananas. But, <laughs> but, but like, if you're in the middle of a joke and you would see me in the audience and then suddenly abort the joke, you're a dickhead and you shouldn't be telling <laughs> it. That's all there is to it. If you're not going to say it to that person, what's the point of saying it to a room full of strangers? Yeah, because... Because again, we're we're all willing to be targets. Like we're all, yeah. we can all be made fun of. Like that's why roasts are successful. Yeah, you know, like there's a market for it. And there's a time and place for it. You know, like again, it, it's it's where that nuance and that context is important. Like in a roast, some of those jokes are brilliant and they work. If that was just a regular comedy set, it doesn't <laughs> work the same way. You know, because there's 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 a time and place for things. And there's a, there's a reason why you're doing it and why, and why it works. So, so that, that, that would kind of be like my, my, I guess my parting observation is just like really hammering home. Just like, just know that nuance, know what you're trying to do, know who your audience is and what the situation is. If you're at an open mic and you get four minutes, maybe it's not the time to try your really deeply thought out racial bit where you say racial slurs because you don't have enough time to like really craft that and make that and build the trust and rapport, you know? So just kind of just know, know the situation. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's called an ebb and a flow. It's called a push and a pull. If you're only doing one. eh. Yeah. It's, it's just not going to work. Right. At the end of the day, you should be trying to get laughs. You shouldn't be trying to piss people off. Mm -hmm. That's our job. Yeah, that's all it is. Make people feel better than they were than they got there. Yep, exactly. That's a, that's a good way to, to kind of bring this to a close. Um, Ryan, I just want to thank you for joining us Absolutely. today. And uh, any uh, anything you would like to plug, social media, any projects you're working on, anything like that? Uh, so my social media, uh, all, the, all the major ones, the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's at CrippleThreat8. Uh, it's the number eight. 
Uh, there was seven before me is what that means. <laughs> I've, I've risen to power. <laughs> I forgot my password seven times. Seven times. <laughs> um, so on that, uh, I also have, uh, I have two uh, new podcasts that I've been working on. Uh, one is called, uh, this is kind of a more personal one. It's called uh, Baby Got Backlog. Uh, I'm a huge uh, video game buff. That's what I do. I'm a video game collector. Um, and the problem is I buy faster than I can play. So uh, me and my buddy uh, Rev that I went to college with, he's helping me out, uh, basically forcing me to play one of these games that I've missed a week and we talk about it. <laughs> it's because I've missed some really great games because I will buy 100 at a time. Uh, so, so it's kind of me trying to weave through that backlog. Uh, so it's Baby Got Backlog. And then the other uh, podcast I have, it's called The Cafeteria. Uh, it's a podcast with uh, me, uh, my buddy Johnny Laquasto. Uh, I met him a month into comedy. He is most uh, recently known. He was an announcer uh, for WWE. Uh, very funny guy. Uh, one of my best friends in the world. And then also uh, Brent Terhune, um, who uh, comic I've known out of Indianapolis. Uh, most of you know him as the uh, the redneck you all love to hate. You've probably seen uh, his uh, his parody videos. Uh, where he's a pro-Trump, anti-Trump guy. Yeah, um, we've we've talked uh, we've talked about him in a couple episodes. Oh yeah, Tur- Turhune's the best. He's uh, yeah. he's kind of a cuck, but he's uh, overall a good guy. Uh, so, but but it's basically the the cafeteria. Each week we kind of come together. We're trying to like recreate the uh, the old mentality of like being in school, where you might not get to see your friends except at lunch. So you're at the cafeteria table, and you all talk about like the dumbest shit possible. We all bring a stupid topic. Uh, sometimes it could be something like what's a, a movie you think is underrated. Sometimes it could be what's the uh, what's the biggest animal you think you could beat in a fight. It's it's that kind of thing. So it's just coming in with these discussions and Doug, you're shooting shit at the table. So it's really fun. It's uh, at Cafeteria Pod uh, where you can find us in most places and uh, uh, CrippleThreat.com. I'm going to be at the Comedy Club of Kansas City. Uh, so you can go buy tickets to that. They're the 23rd through the 25th, I believe. Uh, so buy some tickets. You can see uh, my schedule at CrippleThreat.com. And uh, any shows that I'm doing right now, uh, I'm doing because I feel the club is doing proper safety protocols. In a perfect world, we'd all get, be getting paid to stay home. But that's not the world we live in right now. Uh, still got to work a little bit. But uh, if I'm doing the shows, I've deemed it where I'm comfortable enough to do it. So hopefully you'll be comfortable enough to come do it as well. Come have some fun. Uh, uh, buy a shirt so that I can eat. That's my catchphrase, by the way, in case you're not familiar with me. Buy a shirt. Would it make it catchy? No, it's catchy enough. It's to the point. There's a call to action, and that is it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right. Thanks again for, uh, for taking the time. Uh, Excellent. Thank you, guys. Us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And Jeremy, uh, well, actually, I've got to close it with the usual thing that I – always act like I don't remember uh, because no matter what it is, there always is an angle, a perspective, an intent to prove that, yeah, you can laugh at that. Boom. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Gold Knox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Uh, hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, he makes podcasting easy. And uh, if, you're, if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at YouCan'tLaughPod. 
or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.